Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning, we're going to jump into Daniel chapter 1. Last Sunday, we, or actually the last time we met together, we finished up the book of Ephesians with the Apostle Paul. And today, we're going to start the book of Daniel. This was written some 2,600 years ago, right? A long time ago. I mean, if we were just in a time machine and brought back to there, we would be very unstable because there's just so much different in their culture from our culture. But the book of Daniel gives all these amazing prophecies about what was going to happen in his time, what was going to happen in the successive uh, kingdoms after the Babylonian Empire. Uh, it speaks about things that are happening in our generation. Remember, 2,600 years ago, it also speaks about things that will happen in our near future. Uh, Daniel even gives us a glimpse of how the monarchies would sort of acquiesce to representative government. And you'll have to stick around for Daniel chapter 2 for me to elaborate on that. The book of Daniel, even when we compare it to the New Testament, is one of the books most attacked by those that hate the Bible. And the reason being is because they can't fathom or they don't want to fathom or they don't want to humble themselves to a God that can predict the future who's outside of time. And we see this all over the book of Daniel. So they attack it, attack it, attack it. There's no way that Daniel could have known all these things and predicted all these successive kingdoms. So they say that it couldn't have been written in the 6th century BC. It had to be a newer writing because of the whole prophecy issue. But I find it very interesting that when we go into the, the Septuagint, which is the the entire um, Hebrew Old Testament translated into Greek under the Grecian rule, Daniel's in that book. Okay, so at the very least, it's a, it has to be back all the way back to the 3rd century B.C. But we know it's the 6th century B.C. And this is part of what I say when I express to Christians that it isn't just we go to people and say, I just believe because I believe. There's concrete evidence behind what we believe. There's proof behind what we believe, and it's entirely fascinating. I actually have a, a copy of the Septuagint, and it's in Greek, and I taught myself Greek so I could read what's going on in there, but <clears throat> it's there. Now, the overview is, and I always do this before we start a book, the overview, who wrote Daniel? Daniel wrote Daniel. That's a pretty easy one. Uh, when was it written? In the 6th century B.C. Where was it written? in Babylon. Pastor Joe, what's Babylon? If we could put up the first image, and I'm just going to keep that up there for a while, but Babylon encompasses today most of modern-day Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, and parts of Iran, which is, used to be known as the Persian Kingdom, and we'll get into that when we speak about the Medes and the Persians, Turkey, Syria, and Saudi Arabia. So there's a big swath. You hear about ISIS or ISIL, Islamic State of Iraq and El Levant. These are words that we talk about today that have significance going back millennia. 
So I'm, we're going to go, this is going to be a time machine. We're going to talk about what's going on today. We're going to go back to the past, back up to the future. And I tell you what, if anybody's struggling with their faith, listen, faith has to be something outside of the physical realm, outside of the sciences. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, the more we understand the truth of what's going on in the scripture, the more it helps to solidify our faith. So there's a, a big, big swath. And so we're going to this morning we're going to learn a lot about history and geography, so I hope that you, you're ready and you're, you know, get your B-complex B going and you're, you're ready to attack this. As a matter of fact, ISIS, uh, that terrorist group, or ISIL, has been going through the, the Holy Land, is going through the Middle East, and they're completely destroying artifacts. So I've actually made a lot of copies of these articles with pictures. There's pictures in my study Bible of obelisks and clay tablets with cuneiform and hieroglyphics and all this stuff. So before they wipe out all the stuff that's in the museums, it's, we still have proof that it exists. But it does bring us back to the proof of why we believe what we believe. Brings me to the setting. The setting is that Assyria and Egypt... Egypt was a, a funny nation. You know, They were kind of off isolated over there in uh, northern Africa kind of protected in some ways, kind of, you know, out there. And Egypt, under the different pharaohs, rose in prominence and then declined in prominence. So Egypt kind of went up and down, but a very ancient uh, nation. But Assyria and Egypt in this time were in decline. So the Babylonians arose in prominence, and doing so, one of the places that they conquered was Judah and Jerusalem. And in doing so, they destroyed Solomon's temple, which we were covering when I was speaking on Wednesday nights in First King. You see how everything ties together? If you're a little confused, please take notes, because I'd love to answer your questions. It's very important as believers that we understand this stuff. In addition, when Nebuchadnezzar came as the Babylonian king, and he besieged uh, Judah, Jerusalem, the walls and stuff, he was able to break through the forces, the Judean forces, and he expatriated a lot of the Jews into Babylon. And this was a this was a back-and-forth besiegement, which I call undulating besiegements, and I'll get to that. And this happened between 605 B.C. and 586 B.C. Then the Babylonians lasted all the way to 539 B.C. until the Medes and the Persians rose up together and conquered Babylon. And then later after that, we have the Grecian and the Roman empires. Again, we have all these facts and artifacts and you know, shields and different writings to prove that these um, nations did exist. Daniel's ministry spanned much of the 70 years that God allowed the Judeans to be taken into Babylon, to be deported. And let's just put this in perspective. From Babylon, or excuse me, from Jerusalem to Babylon was approximately, and still is, by the way, 500 miles. So you read the Bible and it tells you from one town to the other what the distance is. You go out there and you measure it. It's the same as what the Bible says. Pretty simple. Different culture, different climate, different foods, different language. Now, how would we feel if that happened to us? I think Christians today, because we're so comfortable in American culture, we've, it's almost kind of weakened us and watered us down. And we complain about things we shouldn't be complaining about. But let's just take this into modern day. What if the, what if the Canadians invaded, right? And they conquered the United States and they came into New Jersey and they... And on gunpoint, they swept us away and took us to Canada. How would we feel? Well, I know for me, I don't speak French. I know they speak English too. Um, I don't play hockey, okay? And uh, I really hate the cold. 
So those are three reasons why I would have a problem with this. But heck, I'm deported. I'm being forced. What am I going to do? So I try to bring us into modern-day situations so we can understand what's actually going on here. Now, unfortunately today, there's a, a teaching in Christianity where it weakens Christianity, where we can only be happy when God's blessing us, that we can't have joy in the midst of trials, and that's a lie. Because I think that as we look at Daniel and his three friends, we're going to be inspired by their grit, by their, their, their no, no compromising, their relentlessness, you know, that by their tenacity. And we'll talk about that. Well, Daniel moves up the ranks, and so do his three friends in Babylon. However, they don't compromise. How do they do that? Well, check it out. And Daniel and his three friends were always willing to let it all go, all the gains that they've made to honor God. Now, we have to think about that, too, as American Christians. We get promoted. We get things. What if one day your CEO tells you to do something that's just ungodly? He says, listen, your job is on the line. Would we do it and pretend and lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves? Or would we not do it and put that job as a sacrifice and say, Lord, it's up to you what happens. So we have to look at our own lives too because there is application 2,600 years later. Now the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah were contemporaries of Daniel and Jesus refers to Daniel in Matthew 24. So we know that's a fact. By the first century, Jesus was already talking about the prophet Daniel. So definitely was written before the time of Jesus. I, you know, I'm an investigator by nature. I can't help. I've got to put all this stuff together. And this, this is the foundational part. We're going to get into topical stuff. But, and I'm glad we have a good turnout this morning. This is the foundational part of this book. As we go through all these chapters, this lays that foundation that we can build our understanding on as we go forward. God uses Daniel as a prophet, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And I call this a reverse Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome, where a person's kidnapped or taken captive, the, uh, the captives start over time imprinting or bonding with their captors, and they start relating to them. The reverse is when their captors start to feel sorry for the ones they've captured, and they start moving towards their direction and their ideas. So... Here you go, Daniel and his friends start to change the pagan high command. It's pretty impressive if you think about it. How, how often does that happen? Daniel was a transformer. He wasn't a conformer. And I see trends in Christianity that disturb me because I see a lot of Christians are just parroting what everybody else is saying or stuff they saw on TV, and they're not being transformers. They're being conformers to this world. And the Apostle Paul tells us not to do that. The Daniels today are not content with just doing the Sunday thing, just putting a cute Christian qu quote on Facebook and then living like the world. The world that's going to be judged. Do we really want to be a part of that system? But the tricky part is how do we live in the world but not be poisoned by the world? And we'll talk about that. Daniel and his friends lived in the worst of circumstances. Now, we just finished Ephesians and I would liken, you know, you can see the similarities with Daniel and the Apostle Paul, relentless not compromising, you know, passion and love for the Lord. Um, many, many thousands or many uh, centuries separated the Apostle Paul from Daniel, but you see the, the similarities in those two. So we're going to jump in and read verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure, the treasure house of his God. A little bit more history. Nebuchadnezzar was the son of Nabopolassar. Uh, Nabopolassar was an Assyrian official that when the death of uh, Assurbanipal, which was the king of Assyria, who was the dominant nation at the time, it caused instability in the Assyrian Empire. So uh, Nabopolassar rose up and conquered Assyria when they were weak. So the Babylonians now took promises. And this just was what happened back in the day. You know, you had some nation that was chomping at the bit and they saw a weakness in another nation. They'd rise up and they'd take, they'd take care of them. They take care of business, and they would be the dominant nation. And so much needless bloodshed, but this is what men do when they have no God in their life. All they can think about is conquest and conquering. You see it today, too. Not, no concern about when they're going to die, but they're just going and going and accumulating and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Babylon um, lasted roughly 620 B.C. to 539 B.C. Now, Babylonia, or Shinar, encompasses the northern portion of Babylon, and the southern portion was Uruk. So if we look at this, we see that this is Jerusalem. So here's Judah. Here's pretty much Israel. Syria is still Syria. Over here, down here is Persia, which is Iran today. You have Mesopotamia, which is between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Now, when I was in school, I actually enjoyed history. Remember Hammurabi's Code, right? This whole, you know, Mesopotamia, in school we learned this, it's coming back hopefully. Um, I really had good teachers, by the way. I went to public school and I really had teachers that care and, and I still remember a lot of them, but it, they got me interested in this stuff and now I'm using it and never thought back then I would know what to do with it, right? So if we could, and this is Syria and you have uh, uh, Jordan over here, uh, Saudi Arabia's down here, here's Egypt and Northern Africa. If we could move to the next slide. So here's another picture of it, but here's the Medians. The Medos, Persian kingdom, they're lying in wait, okay? They're, they're waiting for a weakness in Babylon, and they strike afterwards. We'll get to that. So here's the Babylonian kingdom. Babylon was... A, now, all this area right now, why are there so many uh, museums in Iraq? Because that's where it all went down. The more you dig, you go, out, you go to the Middle East and you take a shovel and a brush, eventually you find stuff. You translate it and you realize, wow, these people really did exist. Oh, all the naysayers say, well, that couldn't be in the Bible. And then we find out in the last successive centuries that, yeah, it was there. The Bible was always right. So you have um, Ur. Remember, Abraham was called from Ur of the Chaldees, right? He was called out of there eventually to go to, to the, the promised land. Um, and what else do we have here? Nineveh. Pastor Vinny covered this, right? Jonah preached to the Ninevites. Man, this stuff is all amazing and, and pregnant with history and, and meaning. It's fantastic. So I tell you what, I, t I do tell b new believers to do this. If you buy yourself a study Bible, go to the back of the book, and you'll see my man over here in the military knows. He knows these guys, they're over there. They've seen this stuff firsthand. But get yourself a, a study Bible. You go to the back of the book, and you have all these colored maps. Study them. And you'll really under, it'll bolster your faith because you'll see, you'll read about places and, and you'll say, yeah, this stuff really did exist because I see it today. Uh, are you excited as, as I am? I mean, I just love this stuff. I'm, I'm, this is contained, by the way. Ooh. 
Okay, so the following, <laughs> I'm getting to the rest of it. The following prophesied the fall of Jerusalem. Did this happen and God didn't notice? And he said, uh-oh, look, Gabriel, the Babylonians are attacking my people. No, he allowed it to happen because of the wickedness, and we'll cover that, of his own people. So you have prophesying the fall of Jerusalem was Isaiah, Micah, Habakkuk, Jeremiah. And when we were doing, we're still do, going through First Kings on Wednesday when I'm teaching, uh, you see the stage being set even under Solomon's rule for the fall of, and the split of, of Israel and then the fall of, of Jerusalem. Second Kings 23 through 25 tells us Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, relying too much on the Egyptian pharaoh Hophrah. And this is what the Israelites did. Instead of relying on God, they had mercenaries come in, right? And they wanted them to protect them and they didn't ask for God to protect them and didn't take his discipline. So Zedekiah um, relied on Pharaoh Hophra, but Babylon was able to take out uh, you know, Pharaoh Hophra or pretty much conquer his armies. So Zedekiah was conquered, taken to Babylon with his sons. Unfortunately, this is the way things worked back then. They slaughtered uh, his kids, well, they were grown in front of his eyes and then po popped his eyes out and then made him a slave. So you didn't mess with Nebuchadnezzar. He was a bad dude. Um, actually, I named my son Josiah because he was one of the last good kings before all this went down. And God even said to Josiah, I'm going to stave off my discipline of my people because of you. So, you know, that's <laughs> there's just some characters in the Bible that are just spot on. Now, some would say, but we just read Pastor Joe about Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the king. Well, how you tell me that Zedekiah was the king? The way, it, and again, oh, the Bible discrepancy, 2 Kings, Daniel 1, oh, you know, the sky is falling. No, go to your history books, and you'll find that Nebuchadnezzar went and besieged Jerusalem. And then one, under one of the kings, all right, we give up, take some of the stuff from the house of God, we give up. He deported some people, and I believe that Daniel and his friends were deported in the first wave. Okay, you're going to be a vassal of me, Nebuchadnezzar says to the king. So he leaves. All of a sudden, taxes aren't being paid by the vassal state. Well, we're going to come back and fight again. To get all your armies together and go back a few hundred miles and fight again if somebody ticked you off, then they came back with a vengeance. Then they came back, this, these undulating besiegements. Then they came back and completely annihilated the people, uh, burned down the house, uh, the temple of God, and made an example to the Jews that you're not going to mess with Babylon. So you had Zedekiah who was the last king, and that was it after that. But Jehoiakim was before Zedekiah. Sound good? If we could put up the last image I'm going to show for the morning. This is cuneiform, stuff that's found out in the Middle East. The writings, communication of the Babylonians started with pictographs, little pictures. But when you start speaking to each other in pictures, it gets difficult. Linguistics people would understand this. Um, this was, they graduated to cuneiform, which was basically a bunch of wedge-shaped symbols with, uh, you know, lines attached to them. And they would take a piece of wood and they would cut it in a certain way, make a stylus out of it, write it into wet clay, and then let the sun bake it. And then you would have your, it would be pretty much there for, thousands of years for people to find out after excavating that you guys actually existed. It's funny, the Chinese 
um, at some point, I think still today, have pictographs. Hebrew had pictographs. They were basically pictures. That's how they wrote. And the Hebrews actually went from pictographs to sort of a different, a different type of writing. Um, and the Babylonians did the same thing. Again, let's, I'm, putting all, I'm bringing all kinds of stuff together. So if anybody is a naysayer, let's, let's have some fun and talk after service. Okay, we're good with that. It's going to be a quiz after this, by the way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, Nebuchadnezzar is now al- allowed to ra- raid the temple. Uh, he takes pretty much most, if not all, the gold, the artifacts. And he puts the artifacts in his temple of his false god. Why would God allow that? Well, same reason why today he allows Christians to be humbled by unbelievers. It's not always the reason, but believers that set a bad example, eventually God will deal with them. Warren Wearsby, I love the old preachers, he says this, God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than his people living like pagans in the holy land disgracing God's name. Right? Pick, pick a side. We can't be in the world and we can't be in God at the same time. It just doesn't work. It's very distasteful for God, to God. Isaiah 42, 6, that he says his people, why do you think he put Israel in the middle of the then world back then? Africa to the south, Europe to the northwest, Asia to the east. Israel was right in the center. Isaiah 42, 6, he wanted his people to be a light to the Gentiles. Instead, they were being... Um, corrupted by the false gods and the pagan practices of their neighbors and some of them were horrific I believe in my soul that so many nations have been humbled our nation is a young nation we're starting to see that as we pull away from God his protective hand is pulling away too I don't think if the Lord tarries another 20 or 30 years I think we're going to see a lot of changes that we're not going to like right happened with Sodom and Gomorrah happened with the Babylonians happened with his people the Jews whom he loved so much you know, we really have to get out there and start, st- start making a difference in this world, one person at a time. That's what evangelism is all about. I'm not going to write a book. I don't have time for writing books. I mean, but it's, I think it's just common sense. Verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and for three years training them and at the end of that time that they might serve before the king. So there's this training program and the the Babylonians are going to these other nations and finding the best of the best. Now remember, they're not godly people. They just care about good looks. Do they look like they're built, that they can do work? Are they smart? And it was funny, my wife and I were listening to the Bible on, in the car on the, the iPod, and she said, oh, the Nazis did that. I said, everybody did that. This is what kingdoms headed by men who have no God do. The Nazis didn't start eugenics. This was started way back when. Then they would take people and have them mate to produce stronger and smart. This is what they did. It was selective genetics and all that. This is what people do when they have no God in their life. And the Nazis just followed it. And then sadly enough, 
a lot of the Western countries, although they don't want to talk about it, used a lot of the Nazis, even their medical experiments, and they learned from it. It's, it's a sick world we live in. This is why we, our allegiance has to be to God. So they would learn the Aramaic. They would learn the cuneiform. Um, and, and then this is what would happen. Now, Babylon was the entire empire, or Babylonia. The Babylonians were the people inside the empire. I've got to just go over some of these terms. Chaldea, we looked at Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates. Chaldea was the southern eastern portion of the kingdom. Um, and the Chaldeans were those that kind of came from that area, right? Even in the United States, we're not a huge country, but we'll say, well, they're Southerners. You know, their speech, you could tell they're from the South, or they're Midwesterners. So Babylonia had its thing, and it had its idiosyncrasies, and, and don't get confused by it. Verse 6, now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. That was their Hebrew names. What do we always hear? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But how many people know Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? They had beautiful Hebrew names that, that gave glory to God. So what the Babylonians did says, your name's not Daniel anymore. You're Belteshazzar. And you guys are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What are you going to do? Say no? Off of your head. I'm sure they called each other and spoke Hebrew when they were in private, right? Seven, to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. There you go. And the idea, whether it was the Babylonians or any other conquering nation, if we can get them young, right? We can get them young. We can pull them away from their culture. We can brainwash them to our way of thinking. Young, strong, intelligent, make them with other people, and we can produce a master race. That was the idea of the Babylonians. Didn't work out too well for them. They didn't last that long. Um, I also believe that Daniel and his friends in Ezekiel, because remember the prophet Ezekiel was also deported to Babylon as well. So he had contemporaries. I believe that was in the first wave. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Remember Joseph? Right? He started to get favor in Egypt after he was released from prison. He was second in command only to Pharaoh. God has his way. God has his way of having his people in a place that's dark spiritually, having them to come to a place where there's a light in a dark place. But brothers and sisters, if we're compromising, he's probably not going to do it. You know, if, we're, if we trust God only and we don't compromise, then he may do it. But it still may be difficult because we're going to continually be pressed to put everything on the line. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, who, is appointing your, who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances, our appearance, be examined before you and the countenances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, make a comparison, as, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. 
This is the first time in a long list of times where Daniel and his friends refused to compromise in Babylon. And they basically, I'm, I'm sure in prayer, I don't know this for a fact, they probably said, you know what, Lord, we're, we just want to honor you. If we die, we die. If you make us successful, you make us successful. And they trusted the Lord's will. Again, Joseph in the early days, Moses, I'm sorry, Moses in the early days, same thing. He, he was going places in Egypt, but in a different way, he put it all on the line and he lost everything in the world. He led the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt into the, you know, through the different wilderness wanderings. So Moses was going places and put it all on the line and he lost everything. But he was still a mighty and great man of God because he trusted God, regardless of God's outcome. So the eunuch, or the chief of the eunuchs, is basically saying to Daniel, I really like you guys, nice Jewish boys, but um, I don't want to lose my head. And if you guys don't look glowing in appearance and you don't look well fed and you don't you don't put on weight it's going to be my head so Daniel says well then let's just do this test for 10 days and compare us with the others you know I don't want to put your life on the line but I don't want to eat this stuff so this is what he does now you know some some people take any remote thing in the scripture and twist it and make it something that benefits them this isn't it's not a push for veganism <laughs> and it wasn't vegetables as we understand it called it pulse it was basically water and mostly a grain diet so it was like kind of eating cereal with water every day Let's think about that you know what i'm saying um they were not getting the red wine which had procyanidins in it for the heart they weren't getting the meat which probably you know they didn't pump them with antibiotics like our country does or we do today it was probably really good organic meat which had high carnitine, different amino acid profile. It had um, a high biological value for assimilation and muscle building. And this is what they were denying themselves. So they could have had a really nice feast, but because they didn't want to defile them. So what does that mean? Well, probably that, and we, we, we go into the New Testament with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he speaks about meat offered to idols. And back in the day, what they would do is they take the animal... And they didn't do it kosher. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They'd slaughter the animal however they wanted to, and they'd offer it to their bell, their silly gods that didn't exist, and, and they would do this ritual and offer it to them, and they'd sacrifice the wine to their gods, and, and maybe that was it. Maybe Daniel and, and his three friends knew this was going on. They're like, I can't eat that meat or drink that wine. Okay? So this was what's going on here. And again, they were not being followers. They were being transformers. Now, one last thing with the whole thing with eunuch. Again, I, I try to answer all the questions because I've heard all these questions. Does it mean that they were castrated? Probably not. Eunuchs started out that way. Usually that was for the rebellious or the ones that were in the king's harem. Uh, but eunuch later on got to mean a, a petty uh, uh, royal officer. So they, this was just their names. This was just their position. But they didn't need to do it because they were trying to maybe do some experiment with the boys. I don't know. Verse 14. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their countenance appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So... This test goes well, and I'm sure the lower court officers see something about these Jewish boys. 
You know, I, that's, that's amazing. I've never seen that happen. Usually they'd get skinny and then, you know, they wouldn't look a certain way. And, and these guys look great. So they, it was, I guess, a little secret w- between themselves and, and the chief of the eunuch really liked the boys. And he said, fine, here, here's your grains and water and enjoy. And that was their diet. But they honored God and God honored them. And that's a maxim that we use even in Christianity today. You know, and I say that, you know, sometimes a person will come into my office and they're faced with a dilemma. And I say, well, what should I do in this situation? I say, well, if you honor God, God will honor you. I mean, that's not the end of the conversation, but <laughs> it's, it's sim- simple. It's a cliche. It's, it, it sticks. It clicks, but it's true. You know, Lord, I just want to honor you with my life, with my body, with my future, with my um, success. And I, I will promise to not compromise as much as possible. And it's not so we can get something in return, but it's because God says, I can use that person, right? God can't use double-minded Christians. He can't use carnal Christians, as the Apostle Paul spoke about. Um, and again, some, some don't have victory because they're walking in two worlds. There's too much confusion. Verse 17, as for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, And Daniel had understanding in all visions and all dreams. Understand that this is a spiritual gift. Be very careful of dealing with people that supposedly can interpret dreams. I'm going to talk about this in chapter 2. And there are going to be times that we we do have a dream and God's speaking to us through the dream because maybe he can't get our attention while we're conscious. Um, There may be situations where God gives somebody else a dream like Nebuchadnezzar We're going to find this, and Daniel has the ability to interpret his dream. But today, again, it's just like anything else. People go off on this tangent. Some, in the name of Christianity, are into demonology. They're studying, and and they're, they're, they're so obsessed with demons and how to get rid of them, and they're just not living a normal life as believers. You know, we can really get ourselves into trouble when we get into those fringe areas. But Daniel and his three friends, they have knowledge, skill, wisdom, understanding. I am... had a conversation with a brother uh, last week, and he paid my son a compliment on his character, uh, but also his, you know, doing well in school and stuff. And I said, you have to understand that I pray, I bathe my son in prayer. Um, We've been going over scripture since he's been a little kid. You know, even Ephesians 5 speaks about how where Christ washes his church with the water of the word. When we're bathed in God's word, we don't necessarily see a direct correlation, but it has an effect on our lives. It's almost like a protection. It's almost like, um, you know, we just, we just know stuff. God can now trust us with wisdom, a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. Because, I mean, that's just the way it is. And, and I would say that to you, You're whatever. You could say, listen, I'm a believer and I just turned a believer at 60. Okay, well, make the best of the time that you have at 60. You got kids, grandkids, start praying for them. You know, start warfaring in the heavenlies for those, that, those family members. It's never too late to start. And it was funny because we, we, my son and I had this discussion when he was learning evolution. Now, check this out. I'm going to make this parallel. He goes, Dad, I don't want to learn this. And I said, I said, son, I could go into your school tomorrow and ace that test. And he looked at me. I'm like, yeah, no evolution in and out. Because I want to learn what the world is learning. I want to learn how to reach them for Christ. So we, at times, as we start to grow in the word, and that should be first, I, I caution new believers, well, there's this book that came out, there's this. 
leave the books, put them aside, read the Bible. When you know your Bible well and you've been grown in the Word, then you can start venturing out in other people's opinions. But it gets too confusing. Even some good Christian authors throw opinions as if they're fact, and it confuses you when you read the Scripture. So read the Bible first. I'm at the place where I want to know what the world is learning. I want to know evolution. You know, he was learning prokaryotes versus eukaryotes. And um, I want to understand humanistic psychology so I can see with some of these even false teachings in Christianity where the root, I like to find roots and pull them out. You know, humanistic psychology, everything. I've read an article about um, child molesters now and how they're saying, well, that's now a disease. So basically at this point, everything's a disease and we don't take responsibility for anything. So we're not sinners, so we don't need a savior. Pack up your books, go home, the sermon's ended. I mean, this is the way the world thinks, right? But the Bible says that we're sinners and we're only saved by grace and the grace of the one who spilled his blood to take those sins. See what I'm saying? So we learn about the poison in the world, but we don't drink the poison. We learn about the poison so we know that we can't inhale the poison or we can't let it get into our fingers and get into our bloodstream through the skin. So there's a parallel there, right? And then there's other things that are mathematics. And they're trying to change that too today as well. Two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. But mathematics, you can't argue with. Engineering, you can't argue with. Then everything else, other things are debatable. The physical sciences are there. What happened five billion years ago? Were you there? How do you know? Did somebody send you a message in a bottle? You don't know. You can only speculate. So then that's where we move from the hard sciences to opinion. See where I'm going with this? They were able to be in this world and not compromise with their God. Is there a message 2,600 years ago? You betcha. Everybody can walk out of this building and have that message and use that application of a, a book that was written 2,600 years ago. Verse 18, last few verses. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. Why are we only talking about four people? When I read my secular history, there was thousands of people that were deported, probably because many of the Jews were so poisoned by their own society that Babylonians took him and they said, don't resist. Maybe you'll get something out of it. Maybe they'll take care of you. They became institutionalized. So God is focusing on four people out of thousands. You know, it's very disheartening, and I see this too. Christians in New Jersey, you're going to be in Christian circles where people that you love and people that you know are compromising. You're going to be like the majority of those in the deport. No, you're going to be like the, the four that didn't compromise, and sometimes it's disheartening. And it's frustrating. But God wrote about the four. He didn't write, write about all the compromising ones. Just keep that in mind. It's important what God thinks of us and not what, how we can fit in and go with the flow in our circles. Verse 20, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Then Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus, which I believe was 539 B.C., so as we go through this, we go through this, you're going to see, remember I talked about roots? You're going to see a root of jealousy start to worm its way into the dudes who are already there. What's with these Jewish kids coming in here and Nebuchadnezzar likes them and there's this jealousy that starts to be read and it's sick. And I got to tell you, it's sick when it's in the church too. 
this, this, you know, even when um, in the next chapter we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill all his counselors because they couldn't tell him the dream. And Daniel could have said, fine, kill them, you know, because he knew the answer. They didn't. But Daniel had the king, or he, he, the way he said it was, and we're going to cover it, was not to have the counselors and such killed, right? And even though he saved their lives, they were still jealous. Jealousy is an ugly thing. Daniel was content in who he was. The astrologers and the magicians and the counselors were not. Now, what's a magician? Well, the magician basically used the occult from the power of darkness. Remember, Pharaoh had his guys uh, duplicate, you know, making a snake out of a rod um, from the powers of darkness. The astrologers basically studied movement of stars and planets and their influence over events. And we see that today, you know, the horoscope. And I actually was flipping the channels. I heard talk radio and there's this woman that came on and she was this Miss So-and-so, I forget her name. And she would just take, this girl was, this lady was slick. She just took calls live from people calling in. She'd ask them their name, their date of birth, what their sign was. And, oh, I have this relationship. And, and this lady, I tell you, she was fast. When somebody can tell you things that they wouldn't normally know, there's two things. They're either a good talker or it's from the devil. I believe the lady on, on the radio, I think that she was just slick. And, and she'd get the thing wrong and then she'd, she'd back up and then start again. And well, well, that's because, you know, something simple like, uh, I've been dating this guy for 10 years. And, and then she'd say, the man that you're with, he's, his sign means he takes a long time to do things. Duh, it took him 10 years and he's still not marrying you. So, <laughs> so the world still does this stuff, you know. Don't follow horoscopes. Follow what the scripture says and trust God. God wants us to get our information for the present and the future from him. When we go and we follow these things, what we're basically doing is we, we're following, following false gods. As we wrap up, much of today's message was the foundation. I hit you with geography. I hit you with historical content. Ask me questions. Let's talk about this. Last night I was at 12 o'clock and I just couldn't fall asleep, so I'm, I'm going online and I'm looking for all the different kings of Babylon and, and Persia, and then it put me to sleep. I went back to bed. <laughs> all these names, Nabopolazar, you know, Evil Merodach and Marduk, and oh my goodness. All right, it's time for bed. But today's message was mostly the foundation. It was the historical content. It was geography, right? It was, I'm telling you how Daniel and their friends, uh, his friends find themselves, this is a background that's going to establish the next successive chapters. Today's message is no compromise. Compromise is a funny word. It kind of has several meanings, like the word judge. It has layers of meanings, but simple one. Husband and wife don't agree on where to go to dinner. Big deal. They compromise. It's innocuous. You want to go for Greek? You want to go for Italian? Uh, let's do Spanish. You know what I'm saying? That's compromise. Innocuous. Another word way that compromise or what it can mean is when somebody's in a compromising position it's in a terrible position another layer of the word is when we compromise something like false teachers today who compromise the gospel they water it down and they weaken it today's message was no compromise they weren't going to water down their faith their belief system the foundation they had in god Many, many, maybe many of their friends were and saying, no, no, this is good, do this. Daniel and his friends say, no, we're not going to do it. Daniel and his friends were going to be transformers and not conformers and were blessed by God as a result. And we may have to ask ourselves today, what am I struggling with? Go home in your prayer closet. What am I struggling with? What's my problem, Lord?
are we compromising in any way? What if we today make a, a decision and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to walk according to you and I'm going to stop walking in two worlds. I guarantee we'll see big changes in our lives. I would just say, too, that, um, that Daniel and his friends resisted to ungodly trends and many even of his peers. They were part of the remnant, though. And you know what's funny? Whether it's Isaiah or Daniel, God always speaks favorably about the remnant, the few that aren't doing what everybody else is doing. And from our perspective, we look like we've been left out. The world is just moving on and running over us. But in, in the Bible, God always records those that are the remnant. So think about it from his perspective. It's more important to please him than to please the world. You know, and some of the stuff we can find from, unfortunately, these compromising Christian circles as well. The question is, are we a church that's going to send godly trends for the culture? Or are we going to allow ourselves to be brainwashed by everything we see and hear in the media and culture and, and social media, parroting what we see and hear without investigating it? That's, that's a church with no discernment. My prayer is that we as a church, this, this book transforms us. It gives us the equipment to go out there, to evangelize, to share the truth, to lovingly lead people to Christ. And 2,600 years ago, if we can get that many applications, that's pretty darn good for a really old book that's been translated through several languages over the years. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.